Hi, my name is Chet Cheddar, and I'll be your host for A Closer Look, where we'll explore the most current and relevant topics covered in Frontline Initiative, which is a magazine produced by the National Alliance for Direct Support Professionals in partnership with the University of Minnesota's Institute on Community Integration. If you're wondering what Frontline Initiative is all about, it's about the work that direct support professionals do on a day-to-day basis as they support people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. I'll be talking to authors and taking a closer look at current practices, tools, and resources. So buckle up and let's hear what the authors have to say. Welcome to A Closer Look. I'm your host, Chet Cheddar, and I'm one of the editors for Frontline Initiative. Today, I'm going to be talking with Zoe Korngold. I got to interview Zoe for their article called Supporting Students' Psychological Health and Wellness. In that interview, Zoe reflected on how they handle situations with students who are experiencing big emotions that sometimes get challenging. Zoe not only talks about how important the training is that she and her teammates got, but also the teamwork that helps them and their coworkers provide a safe situation for everybody when things do get challenging at work. So let's get started. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) We're thrilled to have you. Um, Some of the listeners may be wondering if an educational assistant is the same as a direct support professional. And I'm going to suggest that we think think of it in terms of direct support professionals working in different areas of the lives of people with intellectual disabilities. So let's think of educational assistants as doing the same sort of work as DSPs, just in an educational setting. Just like job, um, job coaches or employment specialists are working to help people in vocational settings. And we do know that many DSPs or direct support workers support people in their homes or in their social lives. So Zoe, can you tell the, the listeners a little bit about you and the work that you do at Lionsgate Academy? Yeah, uh, so I am non-binary, I'm autistic, and uh, I'm on the support response team and crisis team at Lionsgate Academy in Shoreview. Uh, it's my dream job. I love what I do every day and I love the kids that I'm around. It's a real honor to be with them. And it's also a real honor to be around team members that have been on the crisis team for years, some of them over a decade. Um, and to be able to learn from them and call them my mentors is like a real honor in my life. So Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, how many years have you been at Lionsgate? Yeah, so um, I started on the SRT team and crisis team this last year. Um, coming into September, this will be my third year at Lionsgate. And just to be clear, the SRT is the support response team, correct? Correct, yeah. All right. And... Um, Lionsgate Academy, what is that? What is Lionsgate Academy? That's such a great question. Um, The best place on earth. Like, uh, let's just start with that. (laughs) Sounds good. Heaven. Um, (laughs) Best people. Uh, Yeah, Lionsgate Academy is basically a public charter school um, that was tailored specifically for kiddos on the spectrum. Uh, But not everybody at Lionsgate is a kiddo on the spectrum. Um, We've got kids with just different stuff going on. Um, A lot of them are on some form of IEP 
or like a 50, I think it's called a 504 plan. Okay. Um, so yeah. And IEP stands for? Individualized. Educational. Educational. Plan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that I'm not really like on the <laughs> academic side of things. So I'm like, oh, well, I know the acronym, but. Yeah, we get used to using acronyms. So um, yeah. I try to make sure that we spell those out whenever possible because I don't always know what people are talking about. I did know that one, though. And it's a good thing for like people who might want to go into this work, too, that maybe it's a hard thing to ask, like, what is an IEP? What is an acronym? You know, like it's it's tough. So it's a good thing to yeah. clarify. That's a good question. What is an IEP? Uh an IEP in a nutshell <laughs> can be a lifesaver, to be honest, for a lot of kids. It's like it's not just about academics. It's like about what helps them focus uh, the great things about them. A lot of case managers and teachers start out by writing the strengths of the student uh, and things to look forward to. Like if you're reading IEP for a new kid that you might not know, um, a lot of it is just the stuff they're working on in their core subjects and also socially. Um, and for a lot of these kids, an IEP is truly a lifesaver, uh, especially if they've had any amount of time without one in school. Um, those accommodations make a really big difference. Yeah, I bet. So it's really that plan that everybody can work from to make sure that you're really supporting the student with the things that they need. And also, as you said, I loved, you know, starting out with what are that person's strengths um, and looking at that rather than looking at any sort of deficits first. Yeah, it's right? really great, especially since like my own IEP didn't start out with my strengths, just went right into like, what do you need to work on? What do you need to change? And that had a tremendous effect on me. Um, but reading through these IEPs and feeling like if I handed this to the student, like the first thing they're going to do is smile and say like, wow, these people like think these things about me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just a really special impact that we can have at Lionsgate, you know. And and what a piece just on thinking about the article is all about kind of that safety and that security for students' um, psychological well-being. So it starts with that. Yeah, it's a lot of little parts and pieces that go into making people feel safe and people feel accepted and welcomed. Zoe, tell me about how did you get interested in working with kids on the spectrum or kids who has, have um, intellectual disabilities? Yeah, um, I started working at the Autism Society of Minnesota. Um, and I was like kind of doing a couple of their like zoo classes. And then I went to camp and camp hand in hand uh, solidified for me that like not only do I want to do this for a living and be in my community for um, like probably the rest of my life. But also like, wow, I feel welcomed and seen here. Um, I feel accepted and I feel like I'm healing, like those parts of myself that were not validated and I was told to put, you know, to hide away. Um, I felt very seen for the first time in my life. And that really solidified for me like, yep, this is where I belong is with my own people. Wow, that camp experience as a, a camp staff member really made a huge impact on your life, didn't it? Yeah, it made me the person I am today. That's really, really awesome. Um, talk a little bit about your education and your training to be in the position you are today. Yeah, uh, I feel like, to be honest, a lot of my training came from 
being an autistic kid. Uh, and sometimes like a lot of the training came from like what I learned not to be and what I learned like not to do from the people around me who just didn't see me for who I am and wasn't able to validate me as an autistic child. Um, so that was like a big learning thing for me. Uh, but like when it comes to actual training, uh, I went to the U of M. Um, University of Minnesota? Yes. Okay. Twin Cities. Uh, I got my bachelor's, majored in English. Um, a lot of my training comes from camp hand in hand as well. Um, and then when you go to Lionsgate, they do um, the, it's like the NPI, like nonviolent. Like crisis intervention. Yes. Nonviolent crisis intervention. They do a lot of that, uh, which is good. Yeah, so. that's a, a nationally known course that helps people know how to handle difficult situations in a positive way. I feel like everybody should take that course or at least like read through their workbook. It's it's really helpful. Yeah, there's a lot of positive interventions in there that um, really help you think about how to handle situations in a positive way to, to really look for what is the outcome that you want and how is that going to be the safest, not only physically, but psychologically for the person who might be having a hard time. Yeah, absolutely. And it like helps you see things very um, objectively. Like, uh, for example, like if you have a student that's very um, like, uh, they might have ODD um, where they're very defiant. Um, you know, that's kind of the term we use, I guess. Um, it lets you see things objectively for like, okay, if, if I'm getting pushback for something, here's a way that I can react that won't like get me subjectively involved, but instead just lets them know like, these are the expectations. Like it's, this is what it is, you know? Um, so it's, mm -hmm. it's helpful to enter through things objectively with that training. Okay, cool. So earlier we talked about the, the two teams that you're on. One is the support response team and the other is the crisis team. Can you tell me how they're different and then how they might overlap if they do? Yeah, absolutely. They overlap all the time, actually. Um, so the support response team is an on-call team uh, that handles a lot of just like kind of on-call everyday things. Um, this could vary from emotionally supporting a student when they are going through a hard time and might just need space to be able to have the emotions that they have. Um, this can be like if students are kind of getting into a verbal conflict in class um, or in a space and kind of getting them apart so that they can have privacy and also have processing time. We're also called for behaviors uh, such as like if someone is having an emotion and needs to get it out by um, getting physical, so throwing things or um, maybe hitting, you know, those types of behaviors were called for. And the crisis team, there's a lot of overlap because sometimes you'll walk into an SRT call and know immediately that it's a crisis call or it becomes a crisis call um, when you need just more bodies um, to help facilitate the situation. So if there is a safety risk, for example, I'm definitely calling the crisis team to help the student that's having a hard time to help the classroom be able to go out of the classroom and relocate um, to help 
follow up with teachers and staff to make sure that they are okay. And if they need support wherever their class is, we help them with that as well. Um, sometimes if we need to remove dangerous objects from a classroom, I'm definitely calling the crisis team to help me move things out of a class or out of a space. So, yeah. Okay. So when you call the crisis team um, and people kind of start arriving, how do you know who's going to do what? Because there sounded like there were lots of moving parts to that, right? Somebody's going to be with the person who's having a hard time, uh, maybe more than one person. You're going to have people who are helping folks in the classroom kind of move to a different area, touching base with the, the teachers and the students, because everybody can be affected emotionally and sometimes phys physically by a situation where a person has been acting out. Yeah, um, thankfully, the team is very cohesive. So like, and we also really know our kids. So when we walk into a room for a specific student, uh, we usually know what needs to happen. Um, direct communication also is such a gift. Uh, I'm able to say, I need you to get everything out of this room. And they just start doing it. Or I need X, Y, Z. And they go and get it. Um, I'm very direct. And I expect the same out of my team members um, to tell me exactly what needs to happen. And a lot of it is just learning, um, like, watch what other people do. So if there's other crisis team members already on scene and they're, and I see them, you know, taking out a table from a room, I know that I'm going to be taking stuff out too. Um, but yeah, it just kind of depends. And usually people are very, very direct. And that's a really good thing to have. Yeah, that's got to be really helpful so that you know you know what to do, paying attention to what other people are doing as well, kind of knowing those basic concepts of we need to make sure the environment is safe, what are some things in there that could be used um, in an unsafe way, and how do we make it safe for the person who's having a hard time, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm really grateful because our team is just like spot on just wonderful people who have been doing this for a long time that I learn a lot from and that I can always go to with questions. Um, they're great. That's really cool. Um, in your article, you talked about really meeting the student where they are to support their um, psychological well-being and mental health. What strategies do you use to get to know the student and identify what they may need to support their um mental health? So a lot of the times students will actually tell you um, <laughs> what they need. <laughs> That's uh, always helpful. Which is really cool. Like if they're able to um, communicate to me in whatever way that they need space or that they need privacy or that they um, would like a song to be played that makes them feel better. Just a number of things. Um, Oftentimes, students will tell you what they need. Uh, if they can't or if you don't know them very well, um, it's kind of like looking in the toolbox and just being like, do you want to use this tool? You know, for example, like um, I might offer a weighted blanket um, if someone's having a really hard time and it seems like a good time to ask. I might ask if they want hand squeezes. Um, or if they want the lights dimmed, if they'd like to go to the regulation station, if they just need privacy. It's kind of like looking in that toolbox that I know is there uh, and offering tools and seeing which ones work. 
And then once we figure out which ones work, um, we kind of communicate that to the rest of the team so that it's kind of like if Jimmy over here has a hard time again, we know that this, this, and this works. Um, and that way everybody can also be on the same page for Jimmy. Yeah, for sure. Um, and some of the things you mentioned, it made me think about really, you need to know, know the kid and kid, the person, and know what is it that they individually need and respond to. Because we know that some people might need more sensory input, like the weighted blanket or having their hands squeezed, and others might need less sensory input, like dimming the lights um, or whatever their particular need is. You also referenced a um, regulation, help me out here. Regulation station. Tell me what that is, please. Ah. Uh. It's such an awesome thing. So um, Lionsgate has two regulation stations, also called the reg station. And inside the reg station, you'll find um, like a red swing that really hugs the body tight. You'll find a platform swing, which is really good for just like going back and forth. There's a projector that will play um, calming music and calming videos. Um there's like a Brillo light thing. There's a light bright. There's puzzles. There's what do you a mean by a Brillo sheet. light? It's like, uh, it's not, I don't think it's called a Brillo light, actually. <laughs> it's like, you know, that thing that looks like hair, um, like it has a base and then there's, it looks like these little silver hairs sticking out of it and they all uh, light up different colors and you can kind of like put them in a tube with your hand or you can just like feel them. Really good sensory tool. It's like mm -hmm. my favorite thing. We'll have to look these up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they sound really cool. Buy one. <laughs> Not sponsored. But they're the best. Uh, and it's just, it's a great place to get regulated and get a calm again. Yeah. Find out or figure out what that kid needs. And they're probably going to be somewhat attracted to that thing. Um, and my guess is they've probably been in, at the regulation station and had a chance when they're calm to kind of pick things out and know what's in there is that would that be accurate yeah we definitely try to get kids in there like a lot of srt's job too is to do a lot of like um kind of like uh i want to say like preliminary i don't know if that's the right word but basically like help kids stay regulated before mm -hmm. things get to like a level four or five type of situation or before they get dysregulated basically. So part of that is like going on a walk or going to the reg station and they might just need like a break in general. Um, like they're not feeling necessarily dysregulated, but um, they might just need a break and the reg stationer is a really good place to go to like figure out what they like and what will help them and for them to figure out what they like and what will help them. All right. Let's talk a little bit about you used a couple terms, feeling regulated or dysregulated. Tell us a little bit more. Kind of define that for us. I kind of have. Um, feelings about the terms regulated and dysregulated, I think it's often better to refer to the actual emotion that's going on. Mm -hmm. But in academics especially, we use the terms dysregulated and regulated a lot. Um, regulated basically means like calm and ready to learn. 
um, from what I okay, can that see. Makes so sense. yeah, your body is calm. Your mind is calm. You're not feeling too fast. You're not feeling too slow. You're feeling just like just right, quote unquote. Uh, and dysregulated, which is where I kind of get like eh, feelings about it because like dysregulated can mean a plethora of things. It's kind of like an ambiguous term, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It can mean that you're really angry and maybe you're throwing things. Um, it can mean that your body is moving too fast and um, you're kind of like not able to sit still. Um, it can mean that you're joking around too much and you're not able to listen you're not able to concentrate um it can be a number of things but just basically like in a state where you're not ready to be calm and ready to learn pretty much okay that's super helpful the other terms you used were level four and level five um i'm I'm assuming those are terms that you use in a school what do you mean by those so the levels are kind of out like quote unquote outdated um or at least are occupational therapists have been working on like instead of saying you're at a four say that you're anxious uh or instead of saying you're at a level five you can say that you're furious i use it for myself personally because sometimes as an autistic person when i'm feeling dysregulated it is very helpful for me to say to someone immediately i'm at a level four or five i need to bounce um when I don't have the words or when I just don't want to tell somebody like I'm feeling furious. Um, It's like an easier way for me to access what I need. But I also do understand like, you know, if our kids go to an employer in a couple of years and say, I'm a four, their employer is not going to necessarily like understand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But like a four is kind of like where you're teetering on being out of control um, in that type of state. And a level five is where you feel out of control of your body or like your emotions. All right. So those, those, uh, levels kind of, there's a kind of a definition for that and it helps kids identify like where they're at and how they can express to someone else where they're at. Yeah. At least in, in the school setting they're in currently. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. That's super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the other things you kind of touched on and I like to think about or I thought about when we um, did the interview for your article is I think one of the most important intervention strategies is often skipped. And that's the debriefing after a situation has occurred. Um, And it can be hard to get back to that for a number of reasons, especially in a school or if you're working in a group home or an employment setting, um, because things move along quickly. Um, not to mention there's often big feelings about what happened and you really have to kind of wait till everybody has, um, kind of calmed down and everybody's ready to talk about it. Um, can you tell me like, how do you all handle that? Um, and, and why, I guess more is, you know, talk about the importance of the debrief and how do you think students really benefit from that? Yeah. Um, debriefs are very beneficial for our students because it's not only like a, a space to debrief about what happened and how you felt, um, and get clarification, but also to clarify, like, what do we do next? So at least at Lionsgate and our crisis team, we'll start by asking everybody how they're doing, uh, going through the facts of what happened, um, what people decided to do, how they felt, what was hard. Um, in those situations, and what do we do now? 
Uh, and that's very helpful to be able to plan for the future, basically. Um, like, okay, this happened. We need a different plan or what strategies worked, what didn't work, um, who needs to be communicated with, that type of thing. Debriefs are very important for not only kind of having closure on what happened, but also opening the door to like a better future for our students and for our staff pretty much. Yeah, boy, I totally agree with you on that. Also in your article, you reminded people that they're not alone and they should find support from others in the organization who can help them with the strategies, um, provide training, whatever support people need. You encourage them to work closely with the person who's being supported to learn how they really want to be supported when they're in a bad space um, or when they're, you know, having a difficult time. Um, tell us more about this and why do you think it's so important, Zoe? I think if you're not able to feel safe within yourself, uh, it's really hard to help other people feel safe. And that's why it's really important to have those core people um, wherever you are working in this particular like position, I guess, um, that you know you can come to them at any time with like, hey, I am feeling this about this and I need to talk about it um, to be able to have closure on it. That's very important so that you can feel safe and that that feeling doesn't compound and start um, kind of branching into new calls and new crises that you're going to take. Um, so that support is very important. And when we have that support for each other, it's easier to mirror it for our students as well. And it's easier for us to collaborate on what's best for our students. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any final words of encouragement or wisdom to share with the listeners? I think that everybody should know that the kids who are the toughest, who give you, quote unquote, the hardest time or are like the, quote unquote, quote unquote, problem kids are really like the best kids in the world. They are the best. They are the most charismatic, the most multidimensional souls. Um, and they've been through a lot of things that also like give them a totally different perspective to everything. Um, and I wish that more people could see that and approach them the way that I see them and the way that my team sees them. Um, Cause that's ultimately what they deserve. And I've seen these kids who come into Lionsgate with, you know, this past of people not believing in them and feeling alienated and they just flourish when we allow them to flourish, when we allow them to be who they are and see them for who they are. Um, and I encourage everyone like, Try to see your students or your clients not as your client or your student, but for who they are individually. And outside of this structure, who are they and who are they going to be? Um, because a lot of what we do right now is going to create the person that's going to just completely evolve and transform and show us like the magic that's been there all along, you know? And that's like my favorite part of this job uh, is being able to do that and knowing that little Zoe deserved that too. <laughs> and little Zoe gets that now, you know, but uh, 
yeah, I guess that's my parting words. Oh, thank you so much, Zoe. This has just been a pleasure um, visiting with you and learning more from you. And the joy that you have for the work that you do is just contagious. So um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, not only for being a two-time author, but now also being a podcaster with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in today. We appreciate you. And we can you can find other episodes of this podcast as well as another podcast called Health Matters for direct support on your favorite podcast streaming services. Thanks again, Zoe, and have a great day. 